Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Steve. It's always good to have Steve back. I missed you last week, Steve. I wept, wept when you weren't here. I was going to hear the bass going. Hebrews chapter 3. Now, I'm going to make a statement that you may not believe, and that's okay. It will make me sad, but it is true. I do not know if I have ever been more in love with church than I am right now. Now, you say, that doesn't make sense, whatever, that's okay. But I'm telling you, for me, I don't think I've ever loved going to church, being a part of church, um, living in community than I am right now. And I, that, that's re really where I'm at. As I was preparing this sermon, as I was reading this text, I just kept thinking about how much I love um, this church, going to this church, being a part of this church, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. And uh, I don't know if that's where you're at right now, and I understand that, but I'm just saying I love this church. I love church. Um, the local church is God's plan. The local church is something that God established. Um, it's God's plan for believers. So many times you'll hear Christians say things like, you know, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, it's disobedience to God because the local church is what God established for his people to be a part of the local church, to be a part of the local church, not only for his people, but for the furtherance of the gospel, for the, for the glory of God. Everything was established, was, was made to go through the local church. Um, and we are your local church, right? You follow Baptist Church as a local church, and uh, we are part of God's plan. I grew up, um, I'm a pastor's kid. I mean, many of you already know that, I'm sure. My dad was here just a few weeks ago. Um, I've only had two pastors my whole life. I grew up going to church. Uh, my dad was my pastor until I was 20 years old. Um, lived, he was my pastor for 10 years in Texas where I was born. Um, moved to Florida when I was 10, and then he was my pastor until I was 20, and I moved here. And uh, I was, we were one of those like old school churches. I was a, I was a, we had a Christian school, a small Christian school. Um, I was always, always in church. When I say that, I didn't know anyone outside of church. Like I'm not being silly. Like everyone in, everyone in my life was part of my church. Um, that was my community. When I think, when you guys think of your community, what do you guys think of? You think of like your neighbors. Um, you may think of like people you went to high school with. You may think of people you know, your friends, work friends, uh, family. There's lots of things to make a community. For me, it was all those things, but it was all people that I knew from church. It was church. I grew up going to church. I didn't really know. You know how like when you're like in junior church or uh, kids class, they'd say, you know, you need to invite your friends to church. I got to look around and be like, they're all here. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are my five friends. Um, it wasn't until, I'm not even joking, like, it wasn't until I was pro probably playing, like, recreational public sports or, and then eventually got a job when I was 14 that I started, like, making actual friends outside of church. Um, when we moved to Florida, Florida's a different culture. I know uh, some of you guys, you guys visit Florida and stuff like that. Florida, um, here in the south, in Texas, it was like this as well. In Florida, you don't know your neighbors, I don't know. I've, I cannot give you the name of one of my neighbors in Florida. It's all northern New England people that have transplanted down to Florida. And they're not the nicest. I mean, they're not, they're just not the nicest people. Okay? We used to make little goodies for them and stuff for Christmas. And they didn't care. I'll just, they didn't care. So I didn't know any of my neighbors. Um, so even when I moved to Florida and I, even, I started, once I got in sports like that, it became a little bit more. But mostly my church was my community for all my life. And to be honest, because that was all I knew, you can call it being naive, you can call it being a kid, um, you can call it whatever you want, but that, because that's all I knew, I kind of took that for granted. 
Um, I kind of took the fact that everyone I, we, am I, am we good? We good, okay. Everyone that I, I, I interacted with, everyone I did life with, everyone I went to school with, everyone I went to work with, everyone in my life was not only a part of my church, but like an active part of my church and an active part of my life. And because it was all I knew, I think I took for granted and missed out on, number one, how important it is, and then number two, actually creating it post being a little kid in church. Does that make sense? Post leaving, being a six, seven-year-old growing up, knowing that's all you knowing, when you become an adult, those things don't just happen by accident. You see what I'm saying? If you do not purposely build your community, right? I want everyone to think of their community. You can think of your five best friends. Think of the people that you do life with. If you do not purposely interject people who are walking with Christ, it will not happen. You see what I'm saying? Your community will be made up of just the people you're around, the people you know, the people you grew up with, the people you work with. And what happens is if you do not purposefully fill it with spiritually minded people, it won't have spiritually minded people. And as a church, um, more than I want us to come to church, um, more than I want us to attend church, serve in church, I want us to be a community together. When I say that is I want us to be able to do life together. Now, these are terms that I think are a little cringy, but it's true to do life together. It's a little cringy sounding, but it's true. It's true. Now, before we get into your text, before we get into our text, I, I want to show you how important it is to live in community. Now, I'm not talking about a geographical community. I'm not talking about your neighbors. I'm not talking about the people that are around you. I'm talking about relational community, relational, the relationships in your life. How important it is. To be, awesome, to be honest, community is an awesome, awesome thing. Community brings a lot of different things. Community brings stability. Um, community brings encouragement. Community brings accountability. Community brings exhortation, which we'll talk about. Community brings opportunities. Community brings friendships, brotherhood, sisterhoods. Community brings helping hands. Community brings correction at times. Community brings perseverance or the ability to continue. Community isn't just, it's not just beneficial. It's not just something that you should desire. It's not just something that you should want. Um, and I'm laying a lot of groundwork. I want you to stick with me. But it's something that's been, we've been called to be in. There's four verses I'm going to read to you real quick. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, which I'm, we'll pro probably talk about tonight when the, we do the Lord's Supper. But the cup of blessing which we bless is not, is it not the communion or participation together of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break is not the communion of the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 4 says, Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. 1 Corinthians 1.9, the last one says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. More than you've been called to church membership, right? More than you've been called to church attendance, more than you've been called to church participation, you have been called and commanded and empowered to be in a Christ-centered community. Community. And hopefully, you Fuller Baptist Church is a facilitator of that. So we've been called to be in community. So ask yourself, are you living in community with one another? 
Not are you attending church with one another, right, because that's obvious. Not are you friends with one another, because I, I, know that, I know that's true. Not do you have the same hobbies as each other. Not that you grow up in the same area, go to the same high school. But are you in community being bound together through the gospel of Jesus Christ with each other? The text we're about to read is going to give us three commands that I believe living in community requires. So, if you are not sure if you're living in community, if, you've, if none of this has made any sense to you yet, ask yourself, are you doing these three things with the people in this room? Are you doing these three things with the people in this room? I know many of you come from other churches. I know many of you come from good backgrounds and all the things like that. So you've got spiritual friends in other places. I get that. But there's something about going to church and being in community with the same people and doing life together and serving together at the same time. So Hebrews 3. We ready? We ready? Verse number 12. Three verses. We're going to skip around in verse number 4 a little bit later um, to get to the third command. But there's three verses. Um, Hebrews is written to the Jewish believers. A lot of this book is talking about the difference between the Mosaic law and Christ and what Christ did to fulfill that. Um, but there's a part in here where I believe that the author lays out the steps that being to, in community require. And it's, it's understood. Number 12 says this, verse number 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you, be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you will be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Let's skip down to verse number four. Verse one says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promising being left of us entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we have believed, for we which have believed do enter into the rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Skip down to verse number 11 and verse number 12. It says, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall under the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The, this text, and we're going to break it all down, so if you don't see it now, I hope you will by the end of this text. This, this text basically says this. We live in community to do three things. I'm going to give them to you right now. I like the anticipation of, like, number two. Number three, I'm going to give them to you right now, okay? You can write them all down. Number one, we live in community to watch out for one another. Verse number 12 says to take heed. We live in community to watch out. Number two, we live in community to, give me the next slide exhort one another, exhort one another. And then number three, that was in verse number 13, number three is found in chapter four, one through four, 11 and 12. We live in community so that once we have watched out for one another, once we have exhorted one another, then we can rest. We can rest in the promises of God. Now, we must do this because if we do not do these things, then you will fall away into unbelief. Look at verse number 12 and 13 again. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What I believe this text teaches, and I've studied it, I've listened, is that if we are not doing life together in a biblically way, in a biblical way, then many, then some at least, 
will fall away into unbelief. Will fall away into unbelief. Now, you're like, I don't understand you. I don't know where you're at right now, but hopefully through the end of this message, you will understand what I'm saying. I want you to decide to live in community and to do the things this text has told us. Exhort to, to watch out, exhort and to rest so that you can persevere. This whole text is on the perseverance of the saints, the continuing of the saints. And not only so that you can persevere, but that so you can help someone else persevere. Let's pray and uh, we will jump into it. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. Um, thank you for the good news. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for this church, Lord. Um, help this message to be, uh, to be understood, uh, not because, uh, because I'm explaining it well, Lord, because your text has laid it out for us, Lord. Um, help us to see the importance of community and then not just the importance of, of community and having friends and that, that aspect of it, but then actually doing things that you've called us to do inside of that community so that we can persevere, so we can persevere. Um, we love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. The reality is this. You are all sitting here, and now I, this, you may not, this may sound dramatic to you, and that's okay. Um, the reality is this. You are all sitting here, and me sitting here, are catastrophes of unbelief waiting to happen. Do you see what I'm saying? We are, we are all at stake, at stake, stake, stake or stake, stake? We are all at stake of coming to a point of walking away from the faith. But what keeps us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ and everyone else sitting in this room. What keeps us together? So I want you to write down three words. If you have notes, if you have a phone, write down three words. First word is this, community greater than or like leads to sign. Community leads to action, leads to perseverance. Community, action, perseverance. We all want to persevere. Raise your hand if you want to persevere. Raise your hand if you want to continue. Little man wants to continue. Okay, if you want to continue, then you must be in community, you must be taking action, and then you will persevere. That's what Hebrews 3 lays out. So we've established the need, we've established community, we've established what that is. Now, what, and we know what it means to continue, so what are the three action items? Well, let's look at it. Verse number 12, number one, take heed. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called the day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now look, to watch out, to take heed means to watch out, to look out for. This is not a command just to look out for yourself, but rather a command to while you are doing life, while you are participating, not just on Sundays, but Mondays through Saturday and Sunday as well, while you are living out your life to be on the lookout for one another. Now, what are we looking out for, right? Look out. What are we looking out for? Well, it, the text gives us five, five different things. Now, one of the beautiful things about preaching, why, why I love preaching, uh, why I love listening to preaching, why I love trying to write sermons and get better at preaching, why I love it so much is because what preaching does is it takes the words of the Bible and puts them into a real-life reality, Okay? That's, what, that's one of the purposes of preaching, to take words and make it reality, not just reading it, not just, oh, take heed. Okay, what does it mean to take heed? What are we actually watching out for? Now, I'm going to give you five words, and I need you to take these and do not let them just be words in a book on a Sunday morning, but let them be real-life things that you are looking out for, not only in yourself, but for those around you. Because listen, people are walking away from faith every single day, and most of the times our heads are so far in the sand we don't even notice. Don't even notice. 
not just from this church, but from churches all over the world and all over the country, everywhere, people walk away from the faith because they are, number one, they're either outside of community or even when they're in community, no one's watching out for them. In fact, we go to church every single Sunday and we don't even know most people's names that are sitting around us, so I highly doubt we're watching out for them, okay? So watch out for these five things. Number one is this, sin, sin. It's in the text, sin. Now, not gonna, now these five things, I do wanna say this, is, this was in a book written by John Piper. He lays all these out, this, this kind of connecting that we're about to go through. This is not Colin. I'd love to take credit for him. It's not me. This is John Piper. But sin, sin, at its essence, not in totality, but at its essence, at its core, sin is the preference, listen, sin is the preference of anything over God. Sin is the preference of, of anything over God. Now, I could name you all the sins, right? We could go through, there's a, like, uh, how many are there? Like a lot, right? Hundreds, thousands, maybe. I don't know, there's a lot of sins. I could name them all, but at their core, each sin is simply a decision that you prefer that over God. Preference over God. Now, we're watching out for sin. So, watching out for sin, not only in your life, but for those around you, in, in those around you. Now, sin leads to deceit, deceit, right? Verse number 13, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a premise for anything over God. Deceit, all sin is deceptive, since why? Why is all sin deceptive? Because nothing is more preferable than God, right? So sin is when we say that things are more preferable than God, and that leads to deceit because nothing's more preferable than God. So sin, deceit, And what happens when we've sinned, we've allowed sin to deceive us, then we become what? Hardened, the third word. Sin leads to deceit. Deceit leads to hardening. Hardening. Now, hardening is this. When the deceit of sin begins to infect the heart like a slow-moving virus. When you've allowed yourself to continue in sin, when you've allowed sin to deceive your heart, then you slowly or quickly, however God deems, become hardened. Now, who's seen the first Spider-Man movie? I'm talking Tobey Maguire, 2002. OG Spider-Man movie. You remember that scene where he's like in his bedroom and he's like getting jacked and he's getting the spider, he got bit by the spider and uh, it goes to like the sequence of the DNA like transforming from his human DNA to the spider DNA. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Pretty sick, pretty sick scene. That's what I think of when I think of the hardening of the heart. It's a slow moving, listen, rewriting of your DNA. That's what happens. When people walk away, it's not a day, it's not an overnight thing. But what it is is this. It's complacency. It's you've allowed yourself to be sinful. You've allowed yourself to be deceived. And now you're being hardened and no one's looking out for you. No one's looking out for you. So you're hardened. You've sinned. You've been deceived. You've been hardened. And that leads to the fourth thing, which is a heart of unbelief. Eventually your heart will be so hardened towards the things of God that you will come to a place of unbelief. Another way of describing what happens when the truth and the beauty of Christ become less and less valuable because you've been so hardened. When you no longer can see that the things of God are more preferable than anything the world has to offer, you are beginning to have a heart of unbelief. If the word of God does not spur you to belief, then it spurs you to unbelief. It started with sin. You've allowed sin to deceive now, you're, now you've been slowly hardened, and once your heart is hardened, you've gotten a heart of unbelief. But there's a fifth word. There's a fifth word. That word is evil. Evil. 
right? This, the Bible says it's an evil heart of unbelief. The heart is in the grip of a delusion. You have an evil heart, listen, on your way to destruction. On your way to destruction. It all started with sin, and then you allowed sin to, to fester, to deceive. Then you were slowly hardened, Spider-Man DNA, slowly hardened. You've, beca- you've developed a heart of unbelief, and now you're evil because you've been deluged. You've been delusioned. You've been deceived by sin, all in the beginning sin. Now, to prevent this from happening, we live in community. We live in community. Listen. When someone is away, think of animals, think of anything, think of little kids. Predators prey on weak people. And being alone is the weakest place you can be. The devil preys on alone. The devil preys on segregated. The devil plays on loners. And when we refuse to, to force ourselves into community, we are putting ourselves in a very vulnerable position. And it's not going to start with an evil heart of unbelief because the devil's too smart for that. It's going to start with your sin that you're okay with and that no one's called you out on. It's going to start with your sin that your spouse is okay with because she likes to do it too. It's going to start with your sin that mine are here, but then you've allowed yourself to to be deceived and you're full of deceit. And then you're all of a sudden you're hardened and you go to church and worship means nothing to you. The word of God means nothing to you. Yeah, you still sit in church, but your heart is just slowly hardening. You're, you're, whatever it is, you're hardening, you're hardening. And then you come to a place where, man, I don't even know if I believe any of that anymore. And then you come to a place where you're just truly evil because you've pushed away all of it. And it all started as sin that was not watched out for. It all started as sin that was not watched out for. And I see it all the time. If you were to seriously be honest, you know how many church people, not just talking about you, but in the world, church people would say, yeah, I don't even really know if I believe any of that. It's not because they just woke up in one day and decided not to believe anything. It's because they were allowed sin to grow, grow, grow into these five steps, and no one was watching out for them. And now they're at a place where they don't even know if they believe. And community is what prevents that. We are all a horrible catastrophe of unbelief waiting to happen. And because we refuse to be in community, we don't even see it. You've chosen that you'd rather put your head down and ignore it. And the reality is when you've decided to ignore community, it's a disgrace to yourself. It's a disgrace to those around you. And it's a disgrace to the creator God. Because he's given us a path and a way to live. And we've decided that we're above it. We're above it. We don't need those friends. We don't need those people. We don't need that church. I'm good with just what I get from church on Sunday. I don't need it any, any other time. I don't need that community. I don't need that fellowship. And what's happening is people are walking away, and one day you may walk away, and it's all starting with you ignoring community. Ignoring community. So watch out. Watch out. Allow community to watch out for you, and you watch out for others. Now, once you have taken heed, once you have watched out, once you have seen what needs to be done, number two, exhort. Exhort. We got to move. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. I used to think that exhort just means to encourage, but it doesn't just mean to encourage. It means to encourage to do something. And what I want us to encourage each other to do is to believe. Above all else, community should encourage us to believe. To believe. To believe what the word of God says. 
to believe what the Holy Spirit talks about. The Holy Spirit has indwelled each and every one of us. It has empowered each and every one of us. So stop allowing your own fear, your own pride, your own insecurity, whatever it is, to keep you from encouraging those in your community. Because that's what we decide to do. Our exhortation is coming through years. We're moving. Our exhortation must be personal. Our exhortation must be personal. These verses are under the assumption of personal, intimate community that the first century church had. If I'm going to come alongside you and encourage you and to tell you that where you're headed is dangerous, the decisions you're making are bad, you're ignoring the truth of God's word, if I'm going to come alongside you and do those things and watch out for you, I better have a personal relationship with you. I better have a personal relationship with you. Now, I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where it says that we're not allowed to love each other. I feel like that's, I'll be mindful. That makes me mad. It's like, oh yeah, I I, I love them a little bit, but I just don't like them. That's not anywhere, that's unbiblical. The Bible never says that we're allowed not to like each other. You know what the Bible does say? Love one another. Over and over and over again. Listen, I understand someone doing something and that irritating you or that agitating you or even something in the past being a block in the relationship but to leave that block to leave that I just don't like that person is to embrace spiritual immaturity it is and so many of us sit around here and we will never sit on that side of the church because of that person sitting there and we've done that for years we've embraced our immaturity our exhortation must be personal must be personal your personal love for one another is a requirement in community. Now, once you love each other, I, I've had this conversation with, with so many people. I, I had it a few weeks ago where I was talking to a, to a teenager, and uh, we, he was, I was like, um, somehow another teenager got brought up, and I was like, yeah, you just need to be praying for them. They're going through it. They're like, yeah, they, they, we kind of talked about it. So I had talked to this teenager. They had talked to this teenager. We both kind of knew what they were going through, and uh, this one teenager I was talking to said, yeah, um, they know what they need to do, right? They just They just have to do it. And I was like, well, I agree. Did you tell them that? They're like, no. I'm like, then what's the point of you knowing it? What's the point of you knowing it? I've had that conversation not only with teenagers in the past month, I've had it with young adults. Not only with young adults, I've had it with adults who know truth, but their relationships are not personal enough to speak truth. And that's sad. That's sad. What's the point of God in giving you the Holy Spirit, God giving you wisdom, God giving you the word of God, and us being friends and you not speaking truth into my life? What a waste. What a waste. What, what's the point? What's the point of us coming together? What's the point of us worshiping together? What's the point of us repenting together? What's the point of us having communion together tonight if we're not even close enough to be able to speak truth to one another? We're ashamed and we're comfortable with our sins, so we avoid personal conversation. We're scared to be real or vulnerable, or vulnerable with each other, so we avoid personal conversation. While you live your personal, comfortable, faux Christianity outside of real community, brothers and sisters are falling away in unbelief because you refuse to be personal with one another. You refuse. You refuse. Our exhortation must be personal. Secondly, our exhortation must be purposeful. So what is the purpose? To believe. To avoid sin, to point to the word of God. So in our community, in our daily conversation, in our weekend weekend hangouts, are we helping each other avoid sin and are we pointing each other to the word of God? Listen, what's the point of having Christian friends if there's no Christian conversation? You know what I'm saying? We love to have our Christian friends and then we live life as if Jesus doesn't exist. 
Our conversations don't reflect our, our, don't reflect our Christianity. Our activities don't reflect our Christianity. But it's our Christian friends. The reality is this. We think our gossip's okay because we do it with a fellow Christian. And they haven't said anything. You haven't said anything, so we think it's okay. You think your drunkenness is okay because you do it with a fellow Christian or with your Christian spouse. We think our bitterness is okay because when you sat down and you told your Christian friend about it, they told you that you had a right to hold a grudge. So we think it's okay. You think your doubts are okay because when you voiced them, you were not presented with truth and love, but rather an acceptance because of someone's own insecurity in their own faith. You think your pride is okay because instead of confronting it, people have written it off to your personality instead of saying that it is the abomination to God that it is. But you think your pride's okay. You think your unfaithfulness to God is okay because to be honest, how many of your friends are really that faithful? You think your spiritual immaturity is okay because no one has loved you enough to push you to more. Our exhortation must be purposeful, but it must become personal first. Thirdly, our exhortation must be daily. Daily. The reality of life is the attacks on your faith are not just once a week on Sunday morning, but are consistent daily attacks. Social media, TV, movies, coworkers, immature believers, lost friends, whatever it is, you are constantly, constantly, whether you realize it or not, being attacked for your faith. So if we're going to be attacked daily, what we must be exhorted daily daily. The reason we come together, one of the reasons we come together on Sunday mornings, one of the reasons we have small groups on Wednesday night, on Wednesday nights, one of the reasons we have cookouts, we have activities, we have hangouts, the reasons we do those things is not just because one hour on Sunday morning is not enough, so we're going to do one hour on Wednesday too, and then that's enough. No, no, no. We do these things so that you can establish relationships that happen Monday afternoon, Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm going to misspeak that if I do that whole thing, but you guys know what I'm saying. We come in here to know each other, to do life together every single day. We have small group on Wednesday so you can get to know a few brothers, a few sisters, so you can do life together every single day. We have cookouts so you can have a conversation that starts on Sunday night, but that continues Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every single day. That's what living in community is. And when we live in community, when we have those relationships, we better be actually having gospel conversations. Because then what's the point? I could find really good friends outside of here that have a lot more of my hobbies and and all those things in common, but I don't give a crap about my hobbies. I want to have the gospel in common. And that's what we have in common. So stop ignoring it. Stop ignoring it. Exhort each other personally, purposefully, daily. If the only communication you have with people in this room is on Sunday morning, you're missing it. You're missing it. If the only communication you have with people in this room are Sunday morning and Wednesday night, you're missing it. I need daily exhortation. I need daily, hey, watch out for that, look to that. Watch out for that. Look for that. I need that not just daily. I need it every hour of every day, and I need you guys to do that. And you guys need us to do it to you. And when you don't, you miss out. And what happens is you lay yourself at risk to not continue. You, lay yourself, you put yourself at risk, and you put your brothers and sisters at risk when you refuse to participate in the community. Our exhortation must be personal, purposeful, and daily. Lastly, God commands us to look out for one another he commands us to exhort one another. And then thirdly, he, cont- he commands us to look and rest. Rest. This passage, oh, we didn't get all into it because I knew I wouldn't have time. But there, it's all broken up with a compare and contrast of Psalms 95 and the children of Israel. 
Um, this is kind of a, it starts out with Moses, the comparison of Moses and Jesus, kind of the differences of that. And the whole, the whole compare and contrast throughout chapter 3 and 4, and it kind of goes on throughout the whole book, to be honest, is this contrast of the children of Israel and what caused, what their unbelief caused them. You guys remember the 40, the 40 years in the, in the wilderness where they wandered around? What was, the, what was one of the big purposes of God making them wander around for 40 years? What was like the big, what was one of the big reasons? I don't know, it may not be a good question. What was one of the big reasons that God made them wander around? This is an answer to quite time. What, did, what was God waiting to happen? Doo-doo-doo. Waiting for him to die. Thank you, Doug. God was waiting for entire generations to die off before they could enter the promised land because of what? Their unbelief. Their unbelief. The reality is this. Unbelief leads to death. Belief leads to rest in the promised land. That's what, that's what the compare and contrast here is this. He says, we look out for each other, we exhort one another so that we do not fall away into unbelief and death, but so that we can enter into the rest that God has for us. Rest is this. The rest is the enjoyment of being established in the presence of God, to share in the everlasting joy that God entered into when he rested. And that's what the children of Israel were seeking, and that's what we're all seeking, is a life dwelling in the enjoyment of God's presence. But in order for us to get to rest, we must first look out for one another, encourage to something, exhort one another, and then we can rest. Then we can rest. Communion, community, action items, perseverance. God wants you to rest. But he wants you to rest in him. We all have our coping mechanisms. We all have things that, that can put us at ease. But what are we resting in? What are we established in? What do we have our confidence in? If it's not in the all-knowing, almighty presence of God, it's not in something good enough. So many of us, we put our rest in our spouse. We put our rest in, in, our, in our financial well-being. We put our rest in our talent, our skills. We put our rest in all these things that may not be bad things, but they're not as good, as great, and powerful as God. So find your rest in him. It's like this. There's security in a pack. I, I'm not a big animal illustration guy. I mean, I could, I could give them to you, I guess. The, the wolves, right? They, they don't attack the pack. They attack the little thing that's hanging out. There's security in numbers. So be in numbers. Community offers security that you can rest in. But just coming to church isn't community. Just attending church, just attending small group, just knowing Christian people, just having Christian people in your circles, that's not community. But community is allowing these relationships to become more than Sunday, but daily relationships that are not centered on your hobbies, that are not centered on your age, that are not centered on your high school, but are centered on the truth of God's word that you are constantly, constantly, every single day, pointing each other back to, dragging each other back to. When, that, when someone says something, when someone begins to gossip, hey, Truth of God's word. Sin leads to these. Sin leads to unbelief. Truth of God's word. When someone, when someone does something that you know, when one of your close friends, if I, if I, I could think of, I could give you so many illustrations of times where I was doing things that were out of pocket and I had good enough friends who loved me enough to call me out on it. That's why I'm here. That's why many of you are here. So are you being that friend to someone else? Are you being that community for someone else? Do you know people in this room? 
Do you live life with people in this room? Do you communicate? Do you text? Uh, if not, we're catastrophes waiting to happen. So, look out for one another. Exhort one another. And then rest together in community. Can we pray? Heads bowed, eyes closed. You guys go ahead and stand. No idea what time it is. Matt's going to play.